Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Uh, I've got myself, Justin Gautier, and Matthew Offenbacher. Matt, how are you doing today? Well, it's a lovely day outside, and so I'll take it before it gets really, really hot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, yeah, it's been a little bit of a mix. I mean, waking up at fifty some degrees. My son, who's one, always wants to go outside as soon as he gets up, and he takes one step outside, and that little bugger. I don't think the cold hurts him too much because he keeps ripping around, and and you know we're trying to bundle him up, and he gets all upset. But uh, I mean, it's nice and sunny, and right now it's seventy seven degrees, so I have no complaints. I was actually outside over lunch, eating the lunch outside, and watching my daughter on the swing set. So it was uh, not too bad, you know. This working from home has its challenges, but being accessible to my kids every once in a while throughout the day is uh, it's it's pretty cool, man. I gotta say, yeah, I enjoyed. I mean, my son is going through a phase where he refuses to wear pants, so <laughs> it's kind of worrisome to try and get him out in the cold. But he he, with some coercing, he will eventually you know give up. But uh, um, you know, it's it, what I really love is in the morning. I usually get up pretty early. I start working, and uh, I have my cup of coffee, and then he wait. You know, he gets up. And just hearing those little footsteps run back and forth across the floor above us, I'm like, oh. And then he started to come down, and he's really obsessed with my uh, Astros bobbleheads. And so (laughs) he's got to hit every single one of those. And uh, usually we turn on a fan or a light switch, and and then he goes and has his breakfast. But it is a pleasant little routine. Nice, nice. Well, I see the apple doesn't fall far from the tree with the whole pan situation, hey? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a joke but I thought let's throw that in there <laughs> every time i've seen yeah. you've had pants so you know for what it's worth um speaking of astros is i haven't really been paying attention to anything on the news side of things but is there any rumblings or any things actually happening in the baseball world right now matt i mean basically they're just trying to figure out what to do uh you know they're talking about uh the the big the big talk and i, I don't know how far along it is was that basically they were going to break down into spring training leagues because about half the teams are in Arizona and half the teams are in Florida and they're not far apart from each other. And so that's how spring training, they can all play each other. So instead of having the, you know, the national American league, you just break up into those, you know, those two and those teams play each other and ultimately compete for a a world series and abbreviated system. So that's the talk. Um, Who knows? It, it, it's so crazy. It might work, but um, you know, I'm most of my worries when I think about baseball is that a lot of the Astros players are getting a little bit older and it's another year that they're getting paid, but not performing yet. Although these older guys, if we have a shorter season, maybe they're especially the pitching, maybe their arms are rested. I don't right. know. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I don't know how you know, with regards to football too, I don't know how that's going to play out. Like I said, I have really not been paying attention to the sports world uh, quite as much, but uh, I, I, I did hear, you know, our boss, James, I was, uh, I, I got to see him the other night and, and he was saying something about Bill O'Brien. I don't know what's happening there, but apparently not two people are stoked about what he's doing right now. So uh, I, again, I have no idea, but can you in a nutshell say what happened to the old Texans and what he's doing? 
Yeah, so uh, he traded away DeAndre Hopkins, who's probably a top three receiver in the league. Okay. And um, he traded him for basically like a running back with a super bloated contract who isn't that good. And um, then traded again a fourth round pick for a receiver with a history of concussions. Um, mm. And so there's a lot of a lot of anger and a lot of um, you know who do, what does this guy think he's doing? And he's the he's the GM and the coach. Which the only other place that really has that kind of setup is New England, and they were like really really good for a number of years. Where Bill Belichick has probably earned that. Right. The Texans not so much. And so I think, you know, there's just a lot of frustration and who does this guy think he is? Um, and I think going back to you haven't heard anything about sports lately is the only thing to talk about is stuff like this because there's no, nothing actually happening on a field anywhere. So we're left with, you know, complaining about these these things and, and fixating upon them. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I got you. What? uh yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, not I don't think anyone has a crystal ball and if they do it's pretty foggy right now, but either way it'll be it'll be interesting on a number of levels to see what normal looks like after this, but you know, one thing's for certain that um, you know, with you know, obviously the world is is slowing down, but one thing that hasn't slowed down is the technology side of things. And in you know, and whether that's in our industry, um, you know, you've got the tech world and everything else, but uh, something you brought up and I think is a great topic for today is, is talking about big data and, uh, you know, not necessarily just focusing on mud, which, you know, we obviously we'll talk about that, but, you know, just talking about big data in general and, and, and what that looks like in our industry and in our space and, and how, you know, that can apply to the drilling fluids world. And, and, you know, what the goal with big data is really just, you know, allowing us to, to organize and collect data to, to, in hopes to create better efficiencies um, and be more productive. And, and, you know, in turn, obviously, it, it, oftentimes it can actually lead to a reduced headcount because one person, if they've got, uh, you know, the ability to do more with t- technology and data um, in, you know, the computing power um, can, can ultimately just make, you know, make things more efficient, kind of like what I said, but Matt, uh, yeah, why don't you kind of go ahead and, and, and your thoughts on big data and, and why that's important for us to talk about here at the flow line. I mean, I, I think it's just, it's, it's an inevitable force that's coming further and further into uh, kind of the common realm. And there's a lot of things that have, have sort of coalesced to make it much easier to access and leverage data. Um, it, I, I mean, to the point where I, th- I think, you know, there are all these conversations, is my job going to be replaced by a machine soon? And, um, you know, there's, there actually attended a conference through, uh, at, at a church up in New York and it was, it was called the fear and wonder of technology. And they had all these speakers and it was basically like, is technology good or bad was sort of the question. And, uh, what was, what was interesting about it was that, you know, they said, well, it could be used for good or bad, but, um, they didn't really, some people said, yeah, you know, it could cost a lot of jobs, but others that our jobs would change. Um, and I think th- the reason I say that is because I think our jobs will change because of data and our access to it. Um, and so hopefully it does make us more productive. Um, although I know one automation guy who said, you know, it may be that you have one less person on the rig or, or a couple less people on the rig that'll get swapped out for an IT guy or gal or something. 
right. you know, where you still need somebody on location to maintain all this equipment. Um, but there are areas and, you know, hopefully a lot of it is the stuff where you look around and say, why do I have to type this in every time? Or it's like, well, why don't we just teach a machine to the computer to actually do that for us? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, tying into the factors that have all sort of come together, you know, the very first one is computing power, right? We have really powerful computers at our fingertips. You know, even our phones are really powerful, right? But we can, we can access servers remotely with really fast internet speeds where I don't even have to have a fast computer. I just have my screen connecting to a fast computer halfway across the world in some data center. Um, and I just rent time on that if I need it. Hmm. Um, I think access to tools, I, I think this is something that's sort of often overlooked, but, uh, and, and by that, I mean, uh, if you're watching, if you were able to watch an NFL game, you might notice that they would always plug, uh, AWS or Amazon web services. Um, and they'd, they'd run through some real fast statistics on a play that just happened and how they're using AI or something to show how you know, abnormal the, the play was or how fast someone was running, um, how accurate the pass was. Um, and they're, they're basically able to do that. But, but the, the plug there is that you can hire a, a Microsoft or a Google or a, um, an Amazon, and a lot of them are offering these services without you having to have this huge backend on your own. Right. So th- I think that's pretty significant just because um, you know, even some of these data analytic tools would take a long time to develop in-house. Uh, and you can, you can basically buy some of the components off, off the street, put them together and customize them to your needs. Yeah. And that's um, a, actually a very good point. And, and something that I've recognized just through folks that I run around with in the industry is there's been so many companies that have entered our space and by that i mean oil and gas and in you know primarily in the upstream side because that's what we deal with day to day but a lot of companies you know whether it be from california from utah um and all over the world for that matter that have come in and capitalized on the demand of data analytics and you know the question that i have or like sort of when i think about it it's you know because people don't know how to do it initially so you outsource and you bring people in and actually i read an article and this was quite a while ago but uh you know, before Anadarko uh, got scooped up by Oxy, they ended up hiring a team of like 50 different data analytics folks from all over the world to solve problems that had nothing to do with their day-to-day jobs. I think, you know, there was one gentleman from Brazil who was a private investigator and who had developed some software and through through the, I, I guess the, uh, the coding or, you know, I'm not sure of the, the correct language there, but essentially he had the ability to help Anadarko look at you know, logs at like a super fast rate and they were able to scale up their ability to analyze certain areas um, at, a, at a rate far greater that they would have normally taken, say, a couple of weeks. Then all of a sudden they could look at things in, in within a couple hours. So the ability to make decisions, you know, quote unquote, real time is interesting. But my thought is like going forward and you kind of mentioned it is, you know, are, are companies going to sort of realize the potential and then do it in-house or is it the demand for outside power to come in and then you just essentially you know pay for the service to utilize you know the software or the coding or whatever that case may be i mean does does that change you think or do a lot of people like having the service to them to where then they 
kind of, you know, it's like almost like a vendor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of it, it, it's a combination of things. So, you know, the, the service may provide, um, access to some algorithms and hosting of the data in, in, you know, a central location and secure security provisions and that sort of thing. I think then as far as, um, you know, one of the things that's, that's heavily emphasized in, in the literature and, and we've seen it ourselves in our own, uh, kind of big data initiatives is you have to have the domain experts pretty close, extremely close to um, the problem you're trying to solve. Um, so, so the, the data, if someone's going to help you create valuable data, it's gotta, someone has to know how to ask that question. And so you basically need a, a domain expert and a data scientist to either be the same person or get along well enough that one can say, okay, so what I'm hearing is you need me to come up with something that predicts this and then validate it and say, yes, yes, that's exactly what I want. Or no, that's not actually useful. I need you to twist it around. Um, and so I think it's going to be a combination of things. And, um, you know, the cynic in me says, this is where consultants are going to make a ton of money. Um, I think they already are, mm -hmm. but, uh, there there will probably be different combinations of those as well, just because I think larger organizations want to keep more in-house and close to the best. And um, they think it's really special and differentiating. And so they don't, they don't want it at, you know, they don't want to buy something from someone else. But um, I suspect a lot of it is going to be how you use the tools available in your organization, not necessarily that, you know, these big service providers who do this for every industry, for everyone are going to be able to show up and say, here's how I'm going to make this easy on you. Yeah, no, it's funny you say that actually, uh, you know, a, a customer of mine, uh, I think this was 2000, either end of 2018 or beginning of 2019 when, you know, a lot of this stuff, it was just a waterfall of, of, you know, different, uh, services coming into the industry. And they were, you know, their management basically said, Hey, you know, here's a software we've, we've signed off on a contract with these guys, uh, figure out how it adds value to, to what we're doing. And it was like, we already have like three different platforms that we're working off of. And now you want to throw some other, you know, data analytics, uh, you know, tool at us and figure out, figure out how to, to, to make our job easier. Like, shouldn't we have given you like, shouldn't it kind of be the other way around? And so there was like certainly some internal, you know, frustrations there, but it's, it kind of, you know, leads me to my next sort of thought is, is, you know, you read these headlines, it looks sexy. There's all sorts of bud, you know, buzzwords, but you know, Matt, w what are you thinking in terms of, or what are your thoughts on like, kind of, is it overhyped and, you know, are, are, are operators right now using data analytics to, you know, determine maybe, you know, the real value of, of their vendors or things of that nature? Like, can you speak on that kind of? I, I mean, personally, and this is just my, my opinion. Um, I mean, going back to the AADE conference uh, last year, the drilling conference where they had a panel on big data and they just went across, you know, probably eight or nine different folks from different operators from different parts of the country. You know, how are you using data? And most of them kind of said, well, we, you know, our CEO signed a huge contract with one of the, you know, big tech companies. It made headlines and they said, hey, you better use this stuff and then tell me how great it is. And they said, you know, a lot of times the tools we were given didn't teach us anything. We, we already knew a lot of this stuff. Um, 
you know, just because we have experience. And, and then I think, uh, you know, a, a, another thing was that you, you just, um, you sort of look and it, it's, I don't think it's the big flashes that are going to drive the efficiencies. It's going to be knowing in, in great detail how to take out inefficiencies, you know, that what a, a flat time, inefficient time, whatever you want to call it, where you say, Hey, I can opt, you know, tweak this a little bit. And so, you know, I've seen several articles of big companies saying they've saved billions in a matter of months by using AI or, or some other big data. And I get a little skeptical just because I'm like, that to save that much money that quickly, you were either doing some, you were probably doing something wrong or pretty bad. And thank goodness you came across this because, you know, you're going to save a bunch of money or, you know, like, like, is it really that, or is it, um, you know, years ago I was part of a, one co company that was acquired and, um, they wanted to know, you know, they wanted to say how much new revenue they generated through this acquisition. And it was just like, you, you put forward your best number, but it was, it's very difficult to validate thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, without a customer have accepted me if, if, you know, we weren't working together, I don't know. Um, so I, I think that there, you know, it's like, a would you have done the same thing without this data? I don't know. Um, hopefully everybody's always working to get more efficient. Um, but I mean, the snarky remark I have on, on you know, kind of the service company side is I, I do hope operators use more uh, data analytics tools because for a service company like ours, where we think we add value um, through our service, we'd like that to be considered in the pricing. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to that, you know, sort of uh, supply chain word, you know, the total cost of ownership. And, and I think a lot of times that that gets uh, confusing for a lot of folks, depending on their business model or how many people are looking at what. But, but yeah, I mean, that's a great point, Matt. And that's, you know, for us, I think that's going to remain a challenge, <laughs> regardless of all this fancy data software and stuff that comes out, but certainly worth the conversation. And, um, you know, I've had that conversation with my customers and, and some get it and some don't, but, uh, you know, ultimately it's, it's just something, yeah, it, again, nature of the beast for us, but, uh, you know, that's, it's just the way it goes. But, um, when it comes to data, Matt, uh, to be, it, it can get confusing, right? Like I, I think you, people read a lot and I mean, the buzzwords get flown around, but I mean, why is it confusing to follow? Do you think? I think, you know, some of the, the main things are, uh, there's so many possibilities with this. And, and I think that even going back to, you know, something you said reminded me, um, you know, part of the reason that some operators aren't using this yet is it's not part of a way of life. It's not part of their culture, but it will be. Mm. Um, but if you can imagine a senior executive who isn't in the weeds on the day to day, they're more dealing with that. They know this data stuff has power and potential but they don't know how. And coming from on high, they say, um, get me something with big data. And the problem is you have to start somewhere. And if, if you tried to address all of the potential opportunities at once, you're drinking from a fire hose. It's, it's too much. Um, you know, and, and kind of tying into that, you know, when, when management offers those directives, um, you know, I, I joke, I would joke with our, our team and, and marketing where I would say, is there any way we can work a blockchain into this? Um, 
just because, you know, it's a, it was like before that it was the cloud, you know, and, um, the cloud is a way of life. It's where lots of people store data, but it's, it's nothing special. Um, well, it is special, but it's, it's not unique and differentiating anymore. Um, and we're not trying to force it in places it doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, you know, that part and, and going back to there's so many possibilities, it is really hard to get started unless you can say, okay, I'm going to pick this thing and optimize this and kind of branch out. Um, and so I, I think that all of that sort of comes together and, uh, you know, it is what it is, but um, I, I think you could, you could just get totally overwhelmed by where do I even begin when this stuff's supposed to tell me everything I need to do better. Um, you you kind of get lost. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and I think it's uh, for, you know, from my perspective, it's identifying, you know, the problem and can anything out there provide a solution for it instead of just, you know, grabbing at straws and, you know, at a conference and they're like, Oh, th- you know, this kind of sounds neat, but you know, identifying the the problem and, and and then trying to match that problem with a potential solution and the interesting part about it and, and like I said I, I know two or three you know tech companies that utilize data analytics and a lot of them I mean they understand that every company in oil and gas operates differently but one thing that's almost across the board well was up until recently is everyone used Excel <laughs> and so sure. it's yeah. it's it's you know and and so a lot of companies understand that and are are fit for purpose which is good because you i mean there's no one size fits all uh in oil and gas for anything uh and so i i think folks understand that but um matt i, I want to pivot a little bit and, and give the listeners uh something a little bit more that relates to to the mud and even drilling side of this but um where for us on the drilling side and, and the mud side where does a lot of this data come from like what what are the sources and how does this stuff get collected uh, and delivered for us as as a mud company. Can you can we pivot in that uh, direction? You think? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think the very first thing, if you think about what's on your your mud report, so it's your mud properties, but it's also products you used, probably some cost, probably some activity, uh, and so, you know, but the but those are iterative things, right? You you, you know, we normally put out two a day unless something comes up. We do some extra ones. Um, but uh that's that's something that uh you know is is common and then the daily drilling report and in fact i think iadc made some modifications uh to the standard drilling report in essence in light of big data and to improve data acquisition uh mm-hmm. to make it more usable for people um so they expanded some of the codes and and did some other things um and so and, and then of course the other one, and, and one I think, you know, sometimes with our customers we get access to uh, is uh, electronic data recorders, like, a you know, the PASON unit or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, all that stuff's logged and it, it's really, you know, quite helpful uh, for, you know, for specific situations. Um, but if you can analyze that data as opposed to kind of doing forensics, you may catch something ahead of time. So uh, electronic data recorders. Um, are pretty helpful and, and link pretty tightly with the drilling report. So that's helpful. Um, and that kind of links into, you know, most everything else is coming from some kind of sensor. Uh, and, you know, we've probably had more data than we've known what to do with for a long time. 
And it was just sort of, I personally am a data hoarder. If I have information on anything, I save it and archive it forever for fear that I might need it someday. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, uh, you know, one of the classics, classic ones, if, if anybody's ever had like a casing run or done a completion where there was uh, fiber in it. So that's uh, DTS, it's distributed temperature sensing, and it gives you a really good uh, profile. For example, when the well is flowing and you shut it in, how quickly it cools off. But the resolution can be like as as tight as you want it to be um, because it's fiber optic. So you can basically do the math and and take a measurement every quarter inch, every you know eighth of an inch, um, and so you get this huge volume of data because you're you're getting that every second. Wow. Um, and it's like okay, well now that I have it, what am I going to do with it? Um, so I, I, there's a lot, in fact, there's a lot of that where even understanding these volumes of data, they, they weren't, we had them and they weren't useful to us. I remember, uh, I had a friend who got his PhD at Rice and, uh, they may, they were funded by an operator to come up with, it was like a, called it a haptic feedback method where you basically, um, you put on these goggles and you had like a pen in your hand. And as you were kind of running the pen through the data, you would feel this resistance when something was inconsistent. And then you could look at it in more detail with the idea that it wasn't visually possible to process all this data. So it would just help you by sort of like resisting and then you could investigate that area further. That's crazy. Um, and was that relating to the oil field or? Do you, it do you was. Huh. I, think, I think it was tied to reservoir analysis. Wow, um, that's crazy. But yeah, he did that, and he made a foosball table that'll play against you. Um, <laughs> that so, I think a lot of people would get benefit, uh, great benefit out of that right now. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think it, it, it was even as we were gathering all this data, you know, just because we could didn't mean we necessarily had any place to put it. So we just archive it and kind of move on. But now, you know, with with these big data tools. Um, we can take that, but that information. And if you think of how much cheaper sensors have gotten, how much more we can do and interrelate systems and, and functions. So, um, it only kind of gets better from here. Most definitely. So let's talk about the folks that are actually analyzing this. I mean, I would almost consider myself a data, uh, data expert or data analyst. I mean, most mud engineers, you're looking at data and you're tweaking things uh, because of what that's showing us. But for all extensive purpose, Matt, what are data experts or data anal or data scientists, and and what how do they connect into our world, and how do we uh, work together to to come up with the end result? So, I mean, a data scientist it's it's a very interesting position just because uh, typically it's somebody who knows how to code. Um, they may or may not come from an IT department, which in the oil field is, can be very, very different. Um, you know, thankfully, you know, we have guys on our team who were mud engineers before they uh, got into data science. So, you know, being able to code and having firsthand experience um, is really important because they can help make the data sets useful. Um, and if they aren't, um, if they, they just have that data analytics background or, or data science background, um, they've got to be a bit more flexible when they talk to an expert on what they need. Um, and, you know, one of the things we do with our data analytics, of course, is 
if any of y'all see a feature you need, you just ask us for it and we can add it in if it's, if it's quick and helpful and, and it, you know, we'll dedicate the resources. Um, but we're a data scientist is able to continually make that information more useful. Um, but, uh, the other part of it is having a domain expert or somebody who really knows what they're doing. Um, talking to that data scientist, if they're not the, if they're not doing data science themselves, uh, to say, you know, what would really help me is if I could see this. Um, and if you think about it, it, somebody who, you know, let's say you came to me and you said, Hey, Matt, the mud's doing this, this, and this, uh, what's wrong with it. And I would say, well, you know, uh, I think it's, I think it's a, B or C. Um, but what if we had a data structure where I could work with that data scientist and say, if you ever see this, it's either A, B or C. And historically we can look at nearby data and say, it's probably C and here's how we fixed it. Um, right. So you unify how I access that information with what solves a problem. That's uh, I mean, that's really interesting. And I mean, it's funny you mentioned, you know, it, it, I would have never guessed five years ago that we'd have data scientists working within our, within our company, but uh, it seems like the demand for that, it becomes more and more. And, and uh, it, it, it is certainly nice to be able to identify something, ask for something, and and marry the two together um you know it's and by that you know i think one thing that people really have to take into consideration is you know they kind of always say you know crap in crap out and i think even now more so than ever it's i mean for us as a company it's i know i do and, and a lot of folks uh that work beside me spend a lot of time making sure that the inputs are correct because it's so easy because a lot of it still is you know finger punched in the, on, on a computer when the money engineers hadn't been sleeping for 48 hours. So how, how important is the data quality when it comes to, to big data and data analytics? Can you touch on that? I mean, it's huge. It's, it's probably the biggest burden to getting started once you've decided what you're, where you want to apply. Um, in as much as, as you mentioned, just because it's there doesn't make it correct. And a lot of these outputs are generally really pretty graphs that look pretty official. Um, and so you, it, it's easy to overlook information. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that's, I think when we talked about in the hydraulics episode, you've got like, you know, you can put garbage in and then the output data is just garbage sorted in a bunch of different colored dumpsters. Um, like it's still trash. And so that's, I mean, that's a pretty important thing is just cleaning up what you've got. And, you know, it, it, sometimes it's that there's no data. So you have a partially filled database for five weeks in a year and all those values are zero. Um, why? Nobody knows. But there was enough information in there that the program took it in. And now we've got to say, take it out or add the missing data, that kind of thing. Um, and then I think some, some of the conclusions from our data are interpreted, right? Like I, I didn't actually take a reading on something, but I can do some math and interpret that this is what this mud property was or, um, you know, something, something along those lines, like my oil water ratio shot up and I had all these other issues. And so I can feel pretty comfortable with the idea that I took a subsurface flow, um, or my oil water ratio shot down. Sorry. Um, 
the idea is I probably took a flow, but it could be that somebody decided to pump, transfer a bunch of water and didn't check their valves and went to the wrong tank. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's still a risk of that. Um, so, uh, you know, a couple of examples that I experienced in the past was, uh, we had a database of all our high pressure, high temperature viscometer runs with the idea that, you know, you could just pull one up and, and look at it, but there wasn't enough data to actually label which were lab muds and which were field muds. And for the most part, lab muds are not very reliable when you're trying to do, you know, you, you take this data and you put it into a hydraulic simulation Products aren't fully yielded because they haven't been through the bit a few times. So field muds were far more preferred. Um, there, there were other things that, that were missing. And so it was just, uh, it, it was one of those like, yes, you have all this data, but I'm not quite sure if we can use it. And then another one, um, uh, Fred Dupriest just gave a, a webinar earlier on, on mechanical specific energy. Um, and, and he's gone on about uh, bit grading. And he says, you know, the hands need to do it. They need to understand what they're looking at, that kind of thing. But the other problem is that it's a purely subjective assessment. Um, Well, there are grades and that sort of thing. How dull is it? How damaged is it? Um, And so I know some, I don't know if it's an operator service company is actually looking at trying to create an app on your phone where you take a picture of it, of the bit when it comes out of the hole and gives it a consistent grading through that algorithm. Oh wow! Um, but right now it's it's somewhat subjective, and so if you really want to evaluate bit quality and, and performance, um, you you're left to is everybody grading the bit consistently? So, well, you bring up a good uh, a good word there is consistency. I mean, how, how what's is it is it important to have consistent inputs or or consistent data, and how important is the data structure in itself? You think? It's really important. I mean, as we look to roll out data analytics um, into other, you know, other areas, the one thing is how far back can we go until our information was recorded in a different way? Um, and not only that, but we like more. We like more information, and so what if we increase the granularity in a report so we can learn more things? Um, that's great, but. Uh, you know, it's all going to be structured the same way so that it's being pulled from the same location on every record. And um, sometimes what you find is, especially old data, it's not all recorded the same way. And you either have to remap it, which is very labor intensive, or um, you move on. And so sometimes you just, uh, you know, for our rollout, I think we just picked a date and said anything before this, we're not going to, we're not going to worry about. And then we we made sure that everything performed and then we went back and cleaned up the data, the historical data. But um, it, it was one of those where we just sort of had to make a decision or we were going to be paralyzed cleaning up uh, data for years and years. Well, and that, I mean, that brings up a great question actually. And uh, you know, how, how important is it? Do you think for, for, because in oil and gas, we've been doing this for a long time. I mean, holes have been drilled for, I mean, since the beginning of the century, how important is it to unlock a lot of this historical data? And do you think that by unlocking it and applying it to what we have today, would that paint a completely different picture? And would we be conducting business differently? Or or do you think that's kind of irrelevant just because of the evolution of technology? I mean, it's interesting because, you know, we even talked about how, uh, you know, it, it was really important just a few years ago to track how long it took to drill the curve section. 
And now it's like a few hours. So do I really need to break that down when I'm trying to like map out, um, you know, intervals? And it's a really good question. Like th things are changing so fast. I think even, you know, you look out in, in the Permian, especially, um, trying to pick a mud weight. Uh, you, you look far back enough and you are probably going to come up with a much lower number than you actually need. And so I think some data is just old and, and I don't want to say irrelevant, but just not outdated. <laughs> yeah. Outdated. And, and maybe it's conditions have changed. Mm. Tools have changed. And, and it could even be that they didn't record the data the same way. You know, instead of recording torque every second, they recorded it every four hours. Um, you, you know, does that really tell me enough about what's going on? So, uh, but, but I do think there is historically, um, I think uh, a lot of that data can inform how you got to where you are now, which I think helps you push forward. Um, right. So I don't want to disregard it totally because I think there is some, some good stuff. Um, but I think you have to kind of pick and choose which one is which. Uh, and I don't think that's very easy. I'm trying to think of an example and I don't, I don't really have one. Um, but I mean, going back to the mud example, right? What rheology do you need? Well, guess what? I had 5,000 PSI pumps or 3,500 PSI pumps, and now I've got 7,500 PSI pumps. Right. So I probably run a thinner, a thinner mud now because I can pump as hard as I want. So um, it's not that anybody was wrong back then. It's just the, the game has changed. And I don't think anybody at the time envisioned recording what the pressure rating was on the pumps. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's a great point. And I think a lot, like you mentioned, I think a lot of it's just the way we capture it, the way we use it. And it's quite simply, I think a lot of it's just, just unnecessary data uh, going back to, you know, who knows how long, but I mean, who knows, but you know, sometimes, you know, especially in mud, I mean, it's all, you know, it's all, a lot of it is trend analyses and the more data you have quite simply, the tighter your trend gets and the more accurate it gets. So, I mean, but, but, but I mean, I think over like, I think everyone is faced with the same challenges. So to say, you know, someone may have a hundred years worth of data, whereas, you know, we may have X years of data. I don't think it really, at this point, it, it makes a huge difference. I don't think it really gives anyone a much more of a competitive edge other than the fact that, you know, we have access to it if we need it. So what, which gives us obviously an advantage, but, um, can you talk a little bit about the data concepts? Because I think, you know, for me initially, and I now sort of reading more about it, I've got to understand a little better, but there's, you have, you have the data analytics, you've got machine learning, you've got the artificial intelligence. Um, I think there's a little, there's maybe a couple more, but those are the ones that come to mind. Can you explain the differences between those and, and maybe to, to help clear the air a little bit for folks that maybe aren't so familiar with that stuff? Sure. I mean, and this was actually when, when I was really trying to understand this, um, this was the very first thing I tried to read up on. And and uh, the SPE magazine, Journal of Petroleum Technology, has a couple of pretty good articles okay. on this. Um, and I, I stole kind of, of the keywords that that, uh, that might help clarify because they were really helpful for me. Um, but data analytics offers insights. So what that means is I go I can go pull up a large amount of data and I see some graphs maybe or some trends. And I can look and say, well, typically our lowest cost wells are drilled here, or this seems to be the most efficient 
um, you know, amount of dilution for performance here. So I just look at something and I say, okay, um, I can make my own interpretation because now I can see this data more easily. Machine learning is when you have uh, tools that actually look at that data and say, okay, what I'm seeing here is I think you need this. So, um, it, it, you know, you click a button and it says, well, based upon everything that's been successful in the area, I think you need a mud weight of 9.2. Um, as opposed to me going and looking kind of saying, well, I see a bunch of, you know, different mud weights here, but it seems like the one with the least problems was 9.2. This one's going to spit it out and tell you. Um, so it predicts what it thinks is most likely success, and it uses more sophistication than probably somebody just trying to file through a you know a stack of values. Sure. Um, and then artificial intelligence is is the the buzzword there is actions. So it's going it it might be with automation that it's just going to weight you up to to the weight it thinks um, from everything it's observed you need, um, and if it encounters whole problems, it's actually going to respond and make changes again. Um, so artificial intelligence and uh, I mean, machine learning, uh, one's an evolution of the other. So I think, you know, you start with data analytics, you, you get the data structure, you can look at it and then you say, well, what if, what if I add some, some brains to it and now it's going to tell me what to look at. And then what if I add some more, in, uh, you know, some more stuff and now it's going to, do what it thinks it, you know, should be done. Um, gotcha. And so an AI, I mean, I mean, the problem is like, it gets so abstract. There's all these subsets and, um, you know, I think that's where like deep learning and neural networks, all this stuff kind of wears you out, um, trying to understand what anybody means. And when you try and read the literature, it's, it's kind of a toss up exactly where the lines are drawn between some of these. And they all overlap a little bit. Right, right. No, that makes sense. And I think for us, directly being affected or you know impacted by this kind of stuff, on the upstream side, like I don't necessarily think mud is quite there yet, but I certainly see this happening on the directional side, which is pretty you know, pretty pretty uh pretty cool to say the least, just because, you know, there's a lot of operators over the last few years that have now been able to, I think, through applying these concepts, technologies are able to drill wells uh, directionally from offices. And and now, you know, the demand for directional drillers is, you know, gone from, you know, having two on each rig one morning, one night to now, um, you know, having a monitoring system in town where one person working a 12 hour tower in the office is able to steer a few different wells. And I would imagine eventually, I mean, looking at, you know, the ultimate goal, um, you know, is to be able to have a drilling program and then all of a sudden you give it to whatever <laughs> big computer and then it, it, it somehow automatically, you know, adjusts rheology, steers the well, trips the pipe. Um, that, that's, I mean, I think ultimately that's where we're headed and whether that's in 10, 20, 100, 200 years, uh, I, I think by the time that they stop drilling for oil or we run out, which is obviously in my opinion, never, but uh, that, that'll be the ultimate the goal and, and what will be happening. And so it, it's pretty cool to see us working through it. Um, Matt, there was some, a term you brought up and I, I wasn't familiar with it, but how would, what, can you describe what digital twins is? 
I feel like digital twins are the latest buzzword that's being thrown around and they are quite interesting, but it's, it's the idea of creating a digital model of a physical object. Um, and so, uh, a great example I saw was, um, they, uh, there was a paper at the SPE, uh, conference in March and they had a company that had asked for a model for a top drive. And what they used was they used commercial software to link together basically, okay, a top drive is made of an electrical motor and electrical motor with these properties, this many windings, this, you know, all the specs you'd have for an electrical motor. And they had, they had a model for that. And then um, what kind of power signal it would typically give out. And then you compare that to what you'd actually get off of a top drive. And so you create these little blocks of components. And the idea was that if you click run on the model and you click, click run on the top drive, give them the same input conditions, you should get the same output. However, when the real life piece of equipment starts to drift, um, then you say, we need to do maintenance or we need to fix something so you can fix it before it breaks. Uh, the other thing is, but there's a belief that if, if you run these digital twin uh, things in the same way that, that you could say, I can actually figure out when I need maintenance because I'll see this digital one start to drift off a little bit or do something wonky. And then I probably need to, before my real one breaks, um, do some maintenance. And so maybe it's, you can defer things instead of saying every three months, it's when you have this, um, you know, this, this level of, of amplitude, then, um, shut it down and fix it, or it needs to be fixed within a couple of weeks. Um, so there, there could be, it's kind of a cool concept. Um, and, uh, it, it, it's once again, there's a lot of tools out there that I wasn't aware of that, um, this is more accessible than you'd think. Uh, so, Hmm. um, but it, but it right now seems to be the big buzzword. I would imagine, and this is just my thinking, I would imagine that the vehicle industry uh, would apply something like this. Is this something that's that's actually on the market, or is this just more concept type stuff? No, I mean there's there's a lot of stuff. Most of it's the headline stuff right now, which you know, when somebody puts up a big article about it, I always have questions about. You know, they probably want to be the first, or they want to impress their shareholders, um, and so I'm not sure if they're actually using it or if. Yeah, it's making the splash, but um, I think there was a production facility where they created a digital twin of the production facility uh, oh. so that, you know, all the compressors and, and all that kind of stuff, it would help them predict uh, and monitor for maintenance and, and any kind of risk, uh, which sounds very sophisticated, but I, I was impressed how accessible it was once I learned a little bit more about it. Um, I think the trick with MUD is, is you know, some of the fluid modeling and, and that kind of stuff especially when you're talking about chemical interactions is a little more tricky, but for mechanical equipment, um, it, it seems pretty cool. And and I think we'll, we'll be able to put use in in the mud game here. Not too long, man. That's exciting stuff. Well, talking about mud, considering this is a mud podcast, how does this all relate to mud, man? Let's, let's, let's bring uh, let's build a bridge here between all of what we're talking about and and how this relates to mud. And, um, you know, more importantly, uh, just kind of chatting on on the potential for us as a mud industry, and, and maybe some of the things that we've recognized, uh, sort of the power behind a lot of this big data. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know the the grand vision. I, I think, as, as you've said, is is some level of automation, um, and at the very least, you know, automatically reading properties to get you know do a mud check every five minutes or however you know however often. Um, you know, I think we still got a ways to go, just because um, everybody's come up with. I think the components. I don't think anybody's been able to make them very reliable. Um, but, you know, uh, one of the big things that I saw offshore was Coriolis meters, uh, especially after Macondo. Um, a Coriolis meter will, be, will take automatic density measurements. Mm -hmm. And um, those are just really cool. Like, you know, uh, let's say you pump a sweep and you want to see what comes back. Well, if it's taking the density every second, then it's pretty cool because you can actually download that on a spreadsheet and see when your sweep came back and mass balance how much it's strung out and, and do some other things. Um, and similarly with displacements, like swapping out fluids, you can see how much of it mixed together. If one fluid's heavier, lighter than the other, kind of figure out how efficient you are. Um, so those are, those are pretty cool. And, and, and I think ultimately if you can draw all that together and, you know, merge it with some of the drilling data, um, you know, maybe we can come up with some better products and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, in the day to day, I think most of the stuff that we're doing would be a lot of the key performance indicators our customers ask for. We could just get them a lot faster. So um, cost tracking, tracking for losses, daily mud properties, um, you know, not daily mud properties over a month, year, number of wells. Um, you can pull those up very, very quickly. Whereas before, it's not that you couldn't do it. It would just take you a couple hours to, to thumb it all together. Yeah. Um, and for me, I mean, that's something that, that's something that I've been able to, you know, tangibly apply in my day to day, um, is just having the ability to, uh, to access information and organize it in such a quick manner. And, and that's one of the neat things, you know, just to give an example, you know, being in a customer's office, we've got the ability to pull stuff up on our phone, uh, thanks to you and your team and what you guys have done. And, and we were all sitting around, you know, kind of hashing out something that we had been uh, trying to figure out or, or come to a, a decision. And so the meeting was basically like, okay, let's talk about it. And, you know, we'll get back to the drawing board. And I was able to fortunately pull something up on my phone um, and, and come up with an answer that was actually brought up sort of on the fly. And we were able to make a decision right then and there. Uh, but, you know, shoot, maybe a year ago, I would have said, all right, sounds good. Let me pull up a few reports or, you know, let me pull up data from the few pads and, you know, hard punch it into a spreadsheet. And next thing you know, coming up with a little graph, well, I literally pulled it up on my phone, showed it to the guys, you know, kind of around the table, they looked at it and, you know, they look, okay, that one compared to this one. Oh, that makes sense. And so, you know, right now it's, you know, it's sometimes a lot of this is like, oh, you know, in the future, we'll be able to do this. But the reality is, you know, even right now, this is allowing us to make real time decisions. And it's something that I've witnessed, per, you know, firsthand, which is, you know, really cool, especially being in a customer's office, being able to access something like that in such a short period of time, um, you know, and then for, for us too, is like, just like you said, the KPI aspect of it, um, you know, being able to look at it every single day and it's, you know, it's quote unquote real time. It's as real as it's as quick as the money engineer pumps out mud reports, but looking at that and then being able to look at, you know, you know, quarter to quarter versus pad to pad versus well to well versus section to section. And, uh, just allowing us to have access to that, um, you know, it's it's powerful stuff. And like you said, it's not that it wasn't there, but it's just the the accessibility and the efficiencies of which it's organized 
to tell a proper story is is right now i think where for us as a mud company and in, in the mud world where it adds a, a serious amount of value yeah absolutely i mean and, and that's the thing is i i don't think we have any I, I mean i think we're getting bigger headlines as we use this data better but uh you know i i don't think we're gonna be putting out an article about how we saved billions anytime soon but um you know i remember a basic one where it was you know the the drilling consultant wanted to put in more more emulsifier because they didn't think we had enough, and we were able to just quickly pull up the data and say, "Look, actually, you know, all the wells in this area, your your consumption right now is right right spot on. You know, you don't need to spend five six thousand dollars on a bunch of product right now. And you know, once again, it's I think where we create the value where we say, "Look, you know, you don't need to spend the money on this right now." Um, you know, we're, we're here to help. And, um, sometimes people don't want to take your word for it, but you show them that information. They say, okay, I'm convinced. So it helps for quick decision-making and those kinds of things where if it would have taken a long time, I'm pretty sure that drilling consultant would have said, you know what? I don't, you know, I don't need to wait for a call from anybody. I'm calling the shots here, throw it in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's those small things that I think add up really big right now. Yeah, no, it is. And and even something that I was able to, again, a shameless plug, but being in a, uh, I was in Denver doing a KPI for a customer. And, um, you know, a lot of times historically, you know, for KPIs, you, you throw together a big spreadsheet with all this data and then you create some graphs, you throw it in PowerPoint, and then you just throw it through the slides. And nine out of 10 times, someone says, well, wait, can't, can you like compare it to the last quarter or can you compare it to this well? Or why don't you filter out all the Wolf Camp wells and well, why don't we, you know, there's always these questions because as people are looking at things, well, you know, prime example, you know, being able to do that and, and kind of have a dynamic KPI is, 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 again, I mentioned it a little earlier about the KPI aspect, but um, that, that again, is, is something that I personally think is just, is, is phenomenal. And, and as an industry, being able to do that, uh, it's just, we're, we're continuing to evolve and, and not, not be so dinosaur, which is cool. And then on top of that, just, you know, at the basic level of, of de-risking, uh, you know, certain things and, and identifying areas that, you know, in this area you had this, in this area you didn't. And then being able to pull in, you know, a 5, 10, 15, 20 mile radius and be able to play with that kind of stuff. Uh, again, it's it's useful. And, you know, a lot of people balk at big data and think it's a big buzzword. But but the reality is, is there's some serious value that 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 uh, it gets, you know, added to to a drilling program at the end of the day for for customers. And, you know, the more we can help as an industry, each other, especially, you know, us as a vendor to, to a lot of our customers, uh, it's, it just keeps everyone in business and, and makes business evolve at a, at a greater rate. And that's what we're here for. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I think there are so many, you know, we've always done it this way. And, and now I think we have a huge opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to use, I'm going to use statistics. I'm going to use, um, you know, different, different things to see how data is working together. And I'm going to make better decisions because of it. And I mean, you know, one thing that I think is frustrating about the oil field is a lot of us have experience about what not to do because we have, you know, if not us, we have customers that have made the same mistake more than once. Um, and if we can offer some level of consistency uh, and, and, you know, a lot of that is centered around training and other things, but if we can offer tools that help ensure consistency, it'll go a long way. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's a huge part of it. And, you know, I, I did want to plug, I think 
Well, I don't know what's going to happen to the AD Fluids Conference, uh, but um, you know it's postponed to be determined. Right. Um, but I do imagine that we will try and get all of our authors on, and and we actually wrote a paper that uh, when it's published, we'll, we'll talk about it. But um, just kind of going through our experience of of putting together a data analytics tool um, that you know what's cool about it is it's always evolving. So what what we published then is not very recognizable relative to what we're doing now. Mm. Uh, but it, it, it was how we got started. And I, I think it's a cool story. And, and we try and run you through some of the history and some of the, the tactics. Um, so what, we'll let you know when that's out. Awesome. No, that's exciting stuff, Matt. Um, you know, I, I think that wraps about it. We're hitting close to an hour here. And this, this was a bit of a long one. But I, you know, I, I think anyone who's listening is going to appreciate it because it is something that we read in the headlines every day, all day. I mean, aside from right now, what we're dealing with, but uh, nonetheless, Matt, that you know, those are all the questions I had and comments, and uh, you know, certainly enjoyed the conversation. Do you have any closing last words for the folks out there uh, in the mud world, or you know, for everyone listening? Be ready for a culture change. I think I think data, if it's not already changing the way you do business, it will. So. Just keep an open mind. And I think once you embrace the tools, you'll not understand how you got by without them. Most definitely. And with that being said, if anyone has any examples or, uh, you know, ways that big data has helped you, we'd love to hear about it, especially anyone in the drilling fluids world or anyone in the drilling world for that matter. You can hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com or you can find Matt and I uh, on LinkedIn. You can hit us up, send us a direct message, and certainly uh, we'd be you know, always enjoy the engagement and please support the show. And if you already haven't, uh, please give us a review and five stars, preferably. And, uh, you know, for everyone out there, stay safe, happy, and uh, enjoy the time with your family in quarantine. And, and we'll see everyone on the streets before you know it. Matt, that's it for me, buddy. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.